be seated. A reading from the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Well, welcome everybody. My name is Ed. I'm one of the pastors here, and we could not be happier that you're here today. Uh, and if you're new with us, you're here at the a great time. We're starting a, a new series called Wisdom, and I'm sure uh, you uh, need some of that. Uh, so um, anyway, I, I, I'm sure you've heard this uh, uh, statement before. Uh, you can't fix stupid. Y'all know that statement. It's attributed to a guy named Ron White, who's a comedian. But I found an older quote that actually is from Benjamin Franklin that says the same thing. He says, we're born ignorant, but must work really hard to remain stupid. <laughs> and if he's telling the truth, some of y'all working overtime, man. I, I'm just saying. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, we're starting this book, uh, this series, and it's in the older part of the Bible in the Old Testament in a book called Proverbs, and it's part of what's known as wisdom literature in the scriptures. And the idea of all of this little section of books is that the great God of the universe loves you so much that he doesn't want you st uh, stumbling around just being stupid about life. He wants you to be able to understand how the world works, what the best wisdom is, and how to begin to apply it to your life. And so he includes these books in, uh, for us down throughout the ages. And here's why this is so vitally important, uh, even for people like us who overall are, are pretty wise. I mean, here you are. Uh, we're glad you're here today, and it's really important even for us because everybody in this room knows somebody that you occasionally look at and you go, how can they be so stupid? I mean, how can they do just that stupid thing? But the tough part about life, even, and I think even more so as you get older, I notice with people my age is, it's tough for us to admit, I'm one small decision away from stupid. It just, one decision can flip anything. <laughs> and some of you don't want to admit that, but it's, it's just true. And so the, the best thing for us is to begin to lean into this and I mean, there's this feeling that almost when you're younger, I think that you feel like you're bulletproof and you, you can't make any mistakes and everything's going to be okay no matter what and you can manage the consequences no matter what comes. But the truth is, you are one ma major decision or sometimes one decision that doesn't even seem that big to you. And it winds up being the biggest, stupidest decision you've made in your life. And there's a big decision between, there's a big difference between wanting to do a wise thing and doing a wise thing. And sincerity, in the end, doesn't really matter. How sincerely you wanted to do the right thing, how sincere you were about hoping it would be the right thing, it doesn't cancel the consequences of your stupid decision. Now, 
I need to say this particularly for those of you in the room who've done a lot of church and you're in what I would call Christian culture. We could have a whole message on whether it's really Christian or not. But so many of us get immersed in this. And I need to add something to you that probably is just for Jesus followers. I don't know. Uh, if you're not really familiar with the church, you might not need to hear this. But there are so many Christians I meet that carry around this idea that if I trusted Jesus, if I believe in him deeply, if I ask him to forgive me of my sins and even for the well-meaning stupid decisions that I made in my life, then he will cancel every real-life consequence that I ever have in my life. I mean, there's a, there are Christians I meet all the time that sit in my office that make some of the dumbest decisions and are frustrated at God that God didn't cancel the decisions that they made and the consequences that came to them, though everybody could see it. So when I tend to talk about decision-making or wisdom or how to apply wisdom to your life, one of the things that I always want to say is God isn't going to protect you from a stupid decision you make. It's one of the principles he put in life that there, there are just some things that you wind up doing and they have real-life consequences. You can still trust in Jesus. He still loves you. He is still with you. He will walk with you through those but there's a principle that you need to get really clear in your life, and it's just true like gravity is true. And it's not spiritually true. It's just true, 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 true. It's written out in the Bible by a guy named Paul who's a follower of Jesus, and he says it like this. Uh, he says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man or a woman reaps what he sows. Now, since everybody in their society had to grow their own food, and most of you just, you know, you go to Aldi's or somewhere and get yours, but you don't know a whole lot about growing. I feel like every time I quote this verse, I need to say it to the non-farmers in the room. If you go out and plant an apple tree, what kind of fruit do you expect to get? Yeah, half of you sounded confused. This is not a trick question. <laughs> if you plant an apple tree, what should you expect to come off of that? That's right. A person reaps what they sow. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, and all that means is, doesn't mean that you wanted to do bad, it just means you gave in to what you thought was right. You decided to follow you. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Paul's saying you make decisions in life based on where God would lead you, even though it gets, goes against what common cultural wisdom would say. You decide to follow the Spirit instead of what your heart in the moment tells you you should do. You make decisions based on that. Then blessing will come to you. Even if you did it with gritted teeth, you followed God. It will come to you. But if you make sincere, stupid decisions, you will reap stupid rewards. You will reap destruction. So for the next several weeks, I just want to spend a few weeks on this. We're going to teach through this, our teaching team. And the time we have together today, I just want to talk about how to live in wisdom and how to avoid the stupid decisions. This is just sort of a base level kind of thing, how you can avoid doing the things that wind up being culturally true and it feels like true to you, but you wind up just going 
the wrong way, and you reap, you reap consequences you don't want. And so over the next several weeks, I hope you're going to be with us. We're going to talk about things like marriage, and we're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about joy. We're going to talk about the things in life that really matter uh, over the next several weeks. And it's all found in the way you choose to do wisdom or not. And for many of you, I just want to say to you, there ain't going to be much new information. For a whole lot of you, the reason we come back to this again and again and again is not because you don't know it. It's because we've decided that somehow I can plant an apple tree and pray for oranges and I'll get oranges. That I can somehow plant one seed and God will just give me something else if I'm really sincere. But the reason we come back to this is that you need to get really clear if you plant and follow God, you will reap a reward. And what I need to say to all of you is you're planting something right now in your relationship with your kids. You're planting something right now in your relationship with the person that you're dating. You're planting something in your finances. You're planting something in your life spiritually. You're planting something in your health. In every single area of your life, you are planting something. And it doesn't really matter how you want it to turn out. If you plant the seeds that reap destruction, you will. So we're going to talk about this for the next few weeks because I just can't get over, well, I was going to say how confused we are, but how confused I get at times on this. And over and over again, when I read the wisdom of these books, I go, oh, that's right. That's just right. But more so, even more, when I sit with people like you that I love and I stand before you and I see people's marriages being destroyed and their finances being ruined and their hearts that want to be so open to God, but when you listen to the stories of what they planted in their life, I mean, I'm not alone in this. You're, you hear friends and families, and it breaks your heart. You want to go out to them, but you want to say to them, what did you expect? What did you expect would happen with what you were doing? There's this contrast between my hopes and dreams and my sincerest desires are and I chose a road that led to destruction, and I'm so mad at God that I wound up having a life that was destroyed. And you want to say, well, maybe you should turn around on that road. That's what the Bible calls repent. Maybe you should turn around and you should go on a different road. Because the truth is, what you sow, the decisions we make, they put you on a road to a place, and the outcome of that is very, very predictable. So we want to look at God's wisdom, and we want to practice it together. We're going to spend a little bit of time of getting deep into the wisdom of the book of, of, of Proverbs. And one of the ways I know to give that this book is intended to give you wisdom is what you already had read in chapter 1. And maybe you didn't hear it really clear, so I want to say it to you again. Solomon says he wants to teach people wisdom and discipline by understanding the insight of the wise so they can do what is right just and fair he says it's here to help the young and those who need knowledge but then i don't know if you notice this or not because you might think you already know it but to us white-haired and dyed-haired uh he says i know you think you're wiser than the young people but he says let the wise listen let those who already consider themselves wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser in fact one of the ways you know that you're really around a wise person is they don't think they're very wise. 
They are always seeking more. Let's begin by asking, what is wisdom? First, wisdom is not knowledge about a subject. Knowledge is essential to most things in life, but wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is the gift that knows what to do with knowledge. For example, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, not a vegetable. Maybe you didn't know that before, but now you have that knowledge. But wisdom is knowing that tomatoes don't belong in a fruit salad. See what I mean? Wisdom doesn't just know what's true, but knows what to do with the truth. So when we come together on Sunday, it's not to learn the Bible. It's not to know about Jesus. We are trying to help each other know what to do with the knowledge that we get from the Bible and how to follow Jesus. Knowledge is not enough. It is not the end goal. Wisdom is. On average, we make about 35,000 choices a day. Now you know why you feel so tired all the time. And many of these choices you have outsourced to the habits in your life. You made the decision a long time ago when you learned a skill or habit, and now your body is automatically carrying out these decisions without you knowing about it. And if you ever try to reprogram a habit you want to change, you'll see that it's not one big decision. It's a bunch of decisions you didn't even know you were making. But whether they're habitual or not, you've got 35,000 choices to make a day. And about 80% of those decisions are not moral, right or wrong kinds of things. But even these decisions, even the habitual ones you make when you're anxious or angry or tired, all of those 35,000 decisions are what make or break our relationships. They affect our ability to do the work we need to do, and eventually they make or break our lives. And it's for this 80% that we need wisdom. And here's an important thing you need to keep in mind with the wisdom literature of the Bible. It offers principles, not promises. Here's what I mean. If you lived in a society as these ancient people did, where you can't just go out to the store and buy food, it is wise to plant a garden. And if you do, you'll likely always have something to eat. If you foolishly just hope that food will fall on your plate, eating will most likely be more of a challenge. That's a wise principle. You reap what you sow. But you have to know it's a principle. It's the wisdom of God saying that this is the general way that life works for human beings. If you live in step with it, you will reap his best intention for you. But these are not mathematical formulas. There is no X plus Y equals Z. Why? Because anyone that has cultivated a garden or tried to raise a child knows that you can do everything right and there's no guarantee. You can't make it rain or prevent every pest. But most of the time, if you do the right thing, it goes the right way. It comes down to, do you trust the one who gave you the wisdom of how life works? So where do we get trustworthy wisdom? Where do I begin? Well, Solomon says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Later on, he restates this as, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God is the source of all wisdom. What the Proverbs are doing is they're outlining God's intention for human flourishing. And what's interesting is that Solomon doesn't see wisdom as a book of wise sayings, but as a person. Often in the Proverbs, you'll see the personal pronoun of I when the author is referencing wisdom, or you'll hear it referred to as lady wisdom. Wisdom is not knowledge that I read in a book. It's something that is personified. Wisdom must be embodied in a person. First, it's personified and God's character revealed to us. And we see this nowhere more clearly than the wisest person to ever live, Jesus. 
But the invitation of Jesus is that God's wisdom can be embodied within us as well. For when you live foolishly, you go against the grain of God's intention for you, and disaster comes upon you. But when you submit to God's wisdom for your life, you live within the flow of His power for your life. So before we move on in our learning today, let's try and make this personal. As Molly already said, wisdom is embodied knowledge, knowledge that has taken root, actually, in our lives. And so um, do you need wisdom in your life right now? Where do you need wisdom in your life right now? Maybe there's a situation or maybe there's a relationship in your life where you need guidance or where you're not sure what to do. If you're not sure what that area is, then think about where you feel the most conflict or the most stress or the most disappointment in, in your life. Maybe if you're honest about it, there's a situation in your life where your foolish or even sinful decisions have made life more difficult for you. Or maybe you're just feeling completely lost in the middle of life's busyness and troubles and you're just not sure which direction you should go wherever you find yourself today would you just begin asking God for his direction I want to give you a moment of quiet to simply ask God for wisdom in this area. And, and I want to be clear, you're not asking for some audible voice uh, for, of God or even some kind of moment of divine revelation. This is about just being humble enough to admit, I can't solve my own problems. The brother of Jesus, James, tells us that if we're looking for wisdom, we should ask God for it. So this is the place where we start. In fact, let's begin by reading uh, these words from James together. And when you see the words in bold, would you read those out loud with me? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now take a moment to talk with God about where you need his wisdom and ask him for it. Now let's continue by reading these words from Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your path straight. You know, wisdom, again, begins by submitting to God, trusting in His wisdom above our own. And so would you take a moment just to quietly and simply say to God, I surrender to you. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. Wherever you lead, I will follow. And if you can't say that honestly uh, to him, just soften your heart so that maybe one day you'll be able to submit to that. So let's take a few moments and do that.
Heavenly Father, give us your wisdom for our lives. Teach us what it means to trust in you and not to lean on our own solutions and our own ideas. Help us to surrender every decision to you so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So Solomon says the beginning of all of this is the fear of the Lord. And I know for some of you this might be a really confusing verse. It has been for uh, at times uh, for almost everybody who reads it. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, it wasn't hard for me to think about fearing the Lord. It seemed like everywhere I went, that's the one thing people thought uh, you should be. You ought to be afraid of God. And they talked about God in such a way that, to be honest, every time I thought about God, it was just exceptionally fearful. And to be honest, by my personality, anybody that tries to push me with fear, I don't want anything to do with you. When you try to manipulate with me by thinking it's over the top and something bad's going to happen, I'd just rather go the other direction. But thankfully, at one point in my life, I was introduced to Jesus, and I began to love Jesus, and I became a follower of Jesus. And I found in the story of Jesus, in fact, in the whole New Testament, that one of the Things that we're told, again, Paul, who I mentioned earlier, says to us, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And once again, once you get to know Jesus, you figure out that Jesus says that he and the Father, God, they're the same. That when you look at Jesus, when you hear the story of Jesus, you are seeing the face of God, what he's really like. And in fact, this verse is one of the only times in the whole of Bible that fear leads to it incredibly positive outcome. So we need to figure out exactly what does it mean. And I think there are two ways when people think about fear that they tend to approach fear. One's the most common way, and I'm going to argue for the second way as being the way that is talked about in this verse. The most common way when people talk about fear is it's anxiety about something that's about to happen or something that could happen to you. It's about it's anxiety about a force that could do something to you. It's anxiety about what might happen somewhere in the future. And for most of us, when we think about, I'm just living in fear, it's really us talking about anxiety that we feel that drives us towards something or away from a certain thing. But the second way that you can think about fear and is it's more this, it's a sense of awe. It's a sense of wonder. It's this idea of, that's so incredible that... I want to be cautious about doing anything to, to dishonor it or to mess it up. It's like what some of us have felt when you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon for the first time and you look out at that and you just feel this smallness and you almost can't speak or you go into a beautiful cathedral and you just, you just don't want to dishonor the moment. Well, the idea is that when you come before God and you begin to get God in his right place in your life, that this awe, this reverence comes over you. And really what you do is you, you want to be really cautious about, I don't want to do anything to dishonor him in any way. I want to have him in the right place in my life. And when I put him in the right place in my life, I become really cautious about doing anything that wouldn't be in a way that he would find pleasing. One preacher I really admire says, if you can get the fear of the Lord right in your life, you don't ever have to be afraid of anything else. And I would add, what I say to people all the time is, when you follow Jesus and you really trust him, 
This world, no matter what happens, is a perfectly safe place for you to be. There's nothing you need to live in fear of. So what does this fear of the Lord, what does it look like? If it's the beginning of wisdom, what does it look like for our lives in 2023? So I want to show you one of the passages. In fact, you already read a part of it this morning that's in the wisdom book of Proverbs. I'm convinced this is what the fear of the Lord looks like. This is what I've been practicing now for, well, practicing well. I try to do that better every day. But this started for me right after I became a follower of Jesus. Solomon writes in Proverbs, uh, 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 the third proverb, he says it this way. And I'm going to say it not the way you saw it on the screen. I'm going to say it to the way the man who convinced me to memorize it made me memorize it. It's trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Now that verse has become a foundational verse for me. And the reason it did, again, is I had this guy who said to me, you just need to get this really clear in your mind. And at the time, I was a way better musician than I was a student. And so there was this little song that got into my head along this verse, and it helped me learn the, the, the words of this verse. Y'all want to hear the song that was in my head? Yeah, well, I don't, I'm not sure. Are you, I, okay, I'll sing it for you. Now, at that time, I was really into reggae. Y'all just need to understand that. So you got to have in your mind that in my head with these words is a reggae beat uh, that's going on, and it goes like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, wait a second. You also, if it's going to really be helpful to me, you got to know that in my head they're backup singers. So it, <laughs> it, it's like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord. Lean not to your own understanding. Don't you lean. Lean not to your own understanding. Mm, mm, mm. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. But on, 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 So I sang that over. Oh, no, no, no. That is not worthy of applause in any way. Uh, no, no, no. Okay, I think you're mocking me. Uh, <laughs> So, you trust the Lord with all your heart. What does that mean? Well, it means you think he's right about everything, just everything. We say it around here to you all the time. Are you willing to make Jesus the leader of your life, the one who gives you the direction for every step you take in every area that you follow? Now Solomon, you'll notice, and this is a part of Hebrew poetry, he also was writing a song that he just goes the next line and he explains it a little bit. He Just for people like me who think you're really smart and you have a different way to look at everything, and you say, I do trust the Lord, but I think, he says, the same man, he says, do not lean to your own understanding. In other words, the way you trust the Lord with all your heart is you don't lean on you. The same guy who taught me this verse, who told me I needed to memorize this verse, that I needed to get it deep into me, said to me at one point when he was trying to make it clear to me because I hadn't memorized the verse after he asked me to, he said, Ed, the one thing we have crystal clear in our mind right now, and you need to get real clear in your mind, I mean, I have abundant evidence, is that you don't have a clue what you're doing in life. 
You've messed up everything. You've messed up relationships. You've messed up your life. You've messed up your health. You've messed up God's laws, man's laws. You've got most of your family turned against you. What you need to get real clear in your mind is you don't have a clue. And if you don't know what to do, you need to decide, I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart. And if you get to a place where you do not know what the Lord would have you to do, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think, imagine there's somebody who does know what to do that when you think about what would a smart person do who's not like me, stupid, what would that person do? And then if they think different than you, do what they do because you can't trust you. You can't trust you. Now, before you judge this really wise man roughly, you should know, I came to learn this guy really, really loved me. I mean, he was committed to me. And he knew me quick enough to know that direct language, it's the only one I understand. I don't get soft stuff. And so he said to me, you have got to stop thinking you know how to do anything and you must trust the Lord. The next part, in all your ways, acknowledge him and everything you decide to do. You decide to date that girl that you're talking about, do that in the way the Lord would do it. The way you parent and the way you think and the way you wind up relating to people, if you wind up following the Lord with your life and you wind up doing something with the Bible in all your ways, in all your ways you need to acknowledge him and everything you do, you allow Jesus to lead your life. And then the end, and he'll make your path straight. And I can tell you now, 40, 42 years into following Jesus, if you trust in the Lord and not me, and I acknowledge him in everything I do, I live the most blessed life. I don't know why all of y'all don't want to be me. My life is incredible. This is where wisdom starts. It's what the fear of the Lord looks like. But some of y'all got to start realizing you can't trust you. You have abundant evidence that you're not that smart. You have more than enough mistakes piled up. So before I close, I want to add one final part, and I've been talking about it a little, around it a little bit, but I just want to be straight because it's what I do. If you want to live in wisdom, you want to fix all the stupid that is in you? You want to live according to the God who made you in the way that will lead to the most blessed life? Then you need to get some people around you who are really wise. That means people who already know how to live and who are willing to help you in this. My whole life has just been more than blessed, not just by following the words of the Lord, but that I have had people around me that have been willing to look at me and say, He's so stupid, he needs help. And they poured into me about marriage and parenting and leading churches and doing all kinds of things. I think about early on a, a man named Stan that just came out of nowhere when I needed him the most, and a wise woman named Dell, and then there was Leroy and Hildred and Roy and David, and there was Jean and John and and Ronnie and people that have given me wisdom and they knew they couldn't push me but they breathed wisdom into me but you know the part that I had to do 
I had to listen. And I had to be with them. I had to lean into them. If you don't hang out with wise people, the other influence in our world will just seep into you over time. And you don't want that to happen. A few years back, I was in a small group, and one of the guys in the group had a drinking problem, and it was left over from bad choices he'd made, and he'd been sober for a while, and he knew that if he just went back to that, it was going to destroy his life. Well, he's a Christian now. He's walking with some people, and at the end of our small group, he says to me, hey, I won't be there at church this weekend because I'm going to hang out with some people. And he goes, oh, yeah, really? He goes, yeah, people from back in the day. And I said, come on, man. You can't go back. He goes, oh, no, it's okay. I'm strong. I said, you will be dead meat. You can't be in an environment like that and hang out with people like that and think you're strong enough. Anybody want to guess how that turned out? You get in the wrong environment with the wrong people? Who's strong enough? You're strong enough? I'm not strong enough. Proverbs says, he who walks with wise people will become wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. That's why we say to you around here every single week, Christianity is not a private relationship with you and God. He invites you into a relationship with his family. It's not a new moral code. It's walking with wise people in his community of followers. And if you want to know more about that, we say to you every week, hey, would you be willing to come out to the Next Step Center and sign up for our next day of class? We'd love to help you in that. But right now, we're going to honor Jesus in the way he asked us to, the wisest person who ever lived. And we're going to, who lived his life in total obedience to God, even to the point of giving his life on the cross. And we're going to remember his sacrifice made for us so that we could live in his glory and his wisdom. And Steve's going to come lead us in that meal.